the future of Ultimate is going to be determined by its coaches. We need good coaches. It's always more fun to coach when you're a better coach, just like it's always more fun to play Ultimate when you're a better athlete. That's Melissa Whitmer describing the significance of the annual IRCA conference. Melissa joins me on the show today to talk about her presentation at this year's edition, as well as the conference as a whole. Melissa has been one of the most influential people in driving the sport of Ultimate forward, and today's interview provides some great insights as to how she has been able to achieve that. Today's show is a little bit longer than usual, so let's go ahead and get into the interview. We're joined today by a special guest, Melissa Whitmer, the founder of Ulti Results, the UAP, and the IRCA Conference. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So we're here today talking about a few different things, um, a little bit different structure than the previous episodes we've had. Um, Melissa, um, you've ran the conference for six years now. Um, Do you want to just talk a little bit about the evolution of the conference? Yeah, sure. So um, started off in... Uh, what did we say? 2014? 2014. Yeah. So we started off um, just with the idea of getting more coaching expertise available and out there. Um, basically, I had a small email list of coaches. A lot of coaches were um, in the UAP uh, using resources there. So just basically built up a relationship with um, a few coaches, trying to figure out what the needs were and um, what else we could do for them in addition to just providing some, um, you know, fitness knowledge and resources. So the idea kind of came up, I guess, oh, I have a friend who like did like an online biking conference or something. And, uh, it just sounded like, oh, like, obviously, like we could totally do that. And I have the relationships necessary to make that happen. So first thing I did was ask Tina, Tina Booth to be a part of it. And I knew that if she said yes, then I could get everybody else to say yes. And so that was my strategy and that's what we did. Uh, so we had, uh, yeah, we had an excellent crew. Um, we had Tina, I think that year we had Lou Burris, Ben Wiggins, Mario O'Brien. Um, uh, I think Alex Snyder was the year after that, but we had a, yeah, we had a really great cast of characters uh, giving all kinds of talks. And it was the first time anything like that had been, had been done uh, online for Ultimate. So it was super stressful because we did everything live, um, but it was really amazing to be online and see, um, I don't know, I just remember this one moment, Lou Burst is giving his talk about, you know, the clown tent, his coaching experience with uh, Oregon Fugue, and just, uh, you know, looking at the live numbers and seeing uh, 350 people tuning in live to watch this thing at, I forget what time it was, maybe two in the afternoon. So people are just right. like watching during their work day or some people are watching two in the morning, depending on where in the world they were. Um, so it's really exciting experience. Yeah. I forgot that used to be live. Yeah. And since then, I mean, it's evolved every year. Yeah. Each year is a little different, but um, the, the same goals are in mind to just get the best coaches possible uh, sharing information. And I think the way it's evolved is each year we strive to include new voices and create a platform um that's more global uh so that's what we continue to try to do that's awesome um what what has the response been in your experience 
I mean, I know you said like a lot of people were watching that first year and they've continued to watch, obviously, because we've been having it for <laughs> these years. Um, but like just in general, do you think what kind of response do you think it's gathered? Well, so the thing is, uh, the Urca conference is dear to my heart because of the impact that it has had and just because I think it's an awesome thing. The issue with it is that we are already a very niche business catering to ultimate players. And then we've decided to further niche it down to tar have a product targeted toward ultimate coaches. It is so, that is such a small group of people that it is uh, very difficult to create a profitable um, product, you know? And and I, f I think it's important in everything that I do, I want to compensate people fairly for their expertise. So we've always paid the coaches for their presentations, at least a little bit, at least a stipend. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of difficult, but I, so every year, because it's just such a, um, <laughs> a production to pull together, as you now have experienced yourself, uh, <laughs> every year, I think I say, we're never doing this again. It is too hard and it's not worth it. But I think, especially when I went to Southeast Asia in 2017, to be able to physically talk to others who had attended the IRCA conference um, and to see what an impact it had had on so many coaches over there. Uh, I think it just makes me unable to not do it. We have to do it. Um, and it's not like there's not coaching knowledge over there. I don't want to say that. Obviously, um, they're doing their own things and coming up with their own new ideas. But it's just for some coaches in some areas, like this is where they get their knowledge and there's just nothing like it. And I think um, one of the things that makes the IRCA conference unique is just the wide variety of people that we have and the range of topics that we can cover. Uh, in every conference, we have things on um, hard hard coaching skills, like specific tactics or specific kinds of offenses or specific defensive strategies. And then we also zoom out into like soft coaching skills, how to teach spirit of the game. Um, we talk about broader issues and ultimate like gender equity. And so the variety that we're able to deliver and the variety of personalities we're able to deliver, I think is just um, super cool. And so, uh, yeah, and then just being able to see the impact that that has from coaches in the middle of nowhere in Ohio to coaches in Cambodia, I think that's just super special to me. Um, so I don't think I'll ever be able to give it up completely. Right. Yeah, it <laughs> it definitely is a challenge to uh, put, get everything together. Um, definitely have been learning that lesson, but it is fun. I have been enjoying it. Um, so it's, you said it's not exactly as profitable as maybe your other products. Um, how do, how do you support it then? If well, one yeah. is able to. Well, right. Well, so this is why the Erica classroom is so important. Uh, we have these competing goals. We want to provide this coaching to, um, well, to people in countries where, you know, the exchange rate is going to just make the fact that they're never going to be able to pay for um, stuff. And that's fine. I want um, I want the whole world to have this knowledge. Um, but at the same time, I do want to pay coaches um, and it, uh, because we value their knowledge. So this is where the ERCA classroom members 
uh, come in. For those coaches who um, can afford it and want the convenience of watching the talks whenever they want, uh, it's so important that there are our members because the, it's, it's the who support um, all the work we put in to make the conference uh, happen. So that goes to um, stipends for our coaches and obviously to um, whoever's organizing the conference. Uh, and yeah, and it needs to be profitable because we are not, uh, we are not a charity. We are a business. So, um, it's tough because every, every year, if I, it was just a pure business decision, it would just be really hard to make the decision to, um, prioritize this over other things we could be doing. But again, I think just the impact makes it worthwhile. And I'm not, not saying it's not profitable at all, but, um, it is not the most profitable thing we could be doing. Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, aside from the, you said it's it's not very niche, or I mean, it, it is very niche. Um, but do you think maybe in the future there would be, I guess, more of a market for this? What are you What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not waiting on um, the growth of Ultimate to produce a market for us, um, and I think that's. Uh, that would be a mistake. Like, I think there is growth of the ultimate as a sport, but I think what needs to happen is a um, higher valuing of the role of ultimate coaches. So there's a couple things going on. Um, number one, uh, unlike the ultimate athlete project where when people use the, the product, they get better and it's obvious and people see it and they talk about it. Everyone loves to talk about their workout programs and they want their teammates to get on it. So um, that that spread through word of mouth very quickly um, in the first couple of years of the ultimate athlete project. For this coaching thing, <laughs> there's almost a disincentive to um, if you're attending the ERCA conference and you're getting knowledge and it's helping you to make your team be competitive. Uh, there's somewhat of a disincentive to tell other people about it because it's a, it's like a bit of a secret weapon now. And I think that is going to be true. Even if coaches know that that doesn't make sense long-term just because it's how, uh, how humans work. If you have an advantage and you can beat other teams in your area because you are, um, a little more knowledgeable, it's tough to be generous and share, but I mean, that is really what we need to happen, um, in order for the long-term health of the sport. And, um, uh, yeah, for the health of our communities, because uh, if you want to compete outside your small region, like sure, it's great if you can you can um, beat these teams in your area. But uh, if you want to compete outside your area, you need to, your community to grow as well. So, so anyway, um, all that is to say is the product doesn't lend itself to word of mouth advertising in the way that some of our other stuff does. I think that's one reason. Reason number two is um, there currently are more teams that want coaches in the United States, then there are people available to coach. And so this does not incentivize um, rigorous professional development in coaching. So um, even I, I would consider myself, uh, well, I mean, I'm a pretty experienced ultimate coach, but the amount of time and effort that I put in towards my coaching professional development is not near what it could be. Um, and yet I would have zero problems finding a team to coach. Uh, I am sought after as a coach. And I think that's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, there's so much more that I could be doing. There's much more game footage I could watch and just more thought I could put into coaching. But I don't, I'm not incentivized to because it's not like there's someone that's coming to take my job. In fact, uh, 
athletes don't value coaching enough to really pay their coaches um, much of anything. I think we're just getting to the point where we're paying our coaches uh, travel expenses and whatnot. And what is interesting to me, having traveled outside the United States, is how teams and players outside the United States, many of them are under the impression that in the United States, you can get paid as a coach just because we have some coaches. I think many will be surprised to know that there are very few paid coaches in the United States. And certainly, um, as far as I'm aware, no one doing ultimate coaching full-time for a living wage. Whereas outside the United States, there are uh, several people doing that because the idea of having uh, people in a club or people in a team pay for coaching is less of a foreign concept because they're more following the culture of like other sports, um, you know, in their communities. Whereas in the U.S., it's just been such a grassroots sport. Uh, we're used to um, having low tournament fees, sleeping on other players' couches when we go to tournaments or camping. It's just, you, you know, it has a certain culture of not paying for anything, which has some benefits, but the trade-offs are that it's limiting um yeah, I think in some ways it's limiting our ability to value people for their skills appropriately. Interesting. So those are the two reasons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that no, that that's a very good um, answer. Yeah, um, and obviously a, a multifaceted, a multifaceted question, multifaceted issue. Um, so I want to step step past kind of the business of the conference now and jump into to the really fun stuff um, about what you're presenting um, this year at the conference. Um, you've always given conference talks and they've always been great. And I think our audience is going to be excited to hear what you've got coming this year. Yeah. So my talk this year is about flexible uh, practice design and uh Really, I made this presentation for coaches who don't know exactly what they're going to get when they show up to the ultimate field. Um, and so when I first started coaching, this was way back when I was in grad school in, uh, I don't even want to say when, but, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I just remember planning a practice and, um, you know, just like most of the coaches in the U.S., I didn't have any uh, real training in coaching. I was just like a player who just tried to pass on my knowledge. So, um, you know, I'd have these kind of detailed plans or just idea of what I wanted to happen, but sometimes they would hinge on certain people being there or, you know, having enough people there to practice a zone properly. Oh, that was such a challenge. Um, and I know that there's coaches out there dealing with the same things when you have unreliable numbers, you're not sure who's going to, who's going to show up or you have plans where, um, you know, you, if you have inconsistent attendance, it's very difficult because you feel like you have to teach the same thing three times before everyone hears it. And that can be frustrating. So I designed this talk um, for uh, coaches in that kind of um, experience because I know that it happens and it happens to me. And I think um, because of my uh, having to run clinics in various places uh, with short notice sometimes or just, you know, I mean, I often just travel and we'll do a free clinic or free 
just coach a practice wherever I am just for kicks. So, you know, I never know what I'm going to see when I arrive to the field and often I have very little time to prepare. So I think that has given me a unique skill of um, being able to, well, I have a lot of experience dealing with um, just unpredictable scenarios. And so I think that has just made me think about how to design things to be flexible so that everybody learns something at a practice, no matter what happens. That's, that's kind of the superpower that we're talking about here. That's, that's quite a superpower. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I can remember I had a practice a few weeks ago before a tournament and we were going to split people up into all our lines that we were going to use at the tournament and have them mm-hmm. play against each other. And then like four people didn't show up and we couldn't do any of them. And so we had to just completely scrap it. Yeah, it is so uh, frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like no no notice, no nothing. Um, right. So how, how do you do it then? How, how do you use this superpower? How do you develop it? <laughs> well, so in the presentation, I basically provide a framework. Um, it's basically asking the right questions in advance. Um, you know, knowing what parameters you do know, what you don't know, and then... Um, I guess what I do is a little bit of a case study of um, y- using some, well, so the main example we use is we we're preparing for a uh, clinic um, in Iran, which uh, has been postponed. But basically, yeah, we had a lot of par- different parameters to deal with that were going to be very difficult. So, um, <laughs> and I think that was kind of like the most difficult possible set of parameters that you could possibly think of. Now, we did have time to repair, so this is, wasn't a scenario of just showing up at a practice and practicing it. But um, but I think it just kind of made me realize, like, okay, I have developed a skill where we can plan a practice for um, a ver- wide variety of skill levels, too many athletes to reasonably manage, and it has to be done with not much talking because there's limited time, and translating takes time. So, I mean, I have done many clinics and practices in environments where English is not the first language. And so you have to adjust. You can you can only explain things in so much detail. You have to use simple language. You have to talk a lot less. And you just want to get the athletes doing things, which is a good thing to do um, regardless of your practice parameters. Like that's, I think, more and more what I'm realizing is the ability to limit the talking and maximize the repetitions in a way that's meaningful is really where good coaching takes place. So that's what a lot of this practice plan sort of try to do. And so in the talk, we also include, um, I guess, as an extra download, you can you can download the uh, throwing practice plan that we came up with for these difficult parameters. Cool. Um, what were the parameters? Just because I think uh, it's pretty short. Well, well, I mean, I guess off the top of my head, um, well, like I said, we, we, we were going to have, uh, I think we had 75 athletes. So, you know, you can't just talk to 75 athletes and explain right. a drill to 75 athletes. That, is, right. that would be so hard. Um, so we, and we had, um, well, it was going to be, it was me and a co-coach. So we had 150 athletes between us. We were going to split in half. So we had, each had one field, one ultimate size field for 75 people. Um, and, but we did have, uh, coaches that could help us. So that was one thing we had going for us, but yeah, so the main, the main difficulties were, um, lots of players, like too many to reasonably talk to. Um, I think English as a second language was, is a parameter that's difficult to plan for. So, so and then a uh, limited field space. So, because 
you're not going to run, you're not going to use a full field and run a drill with 75 people, obviously. So we had to, um, yeah, do that. And then I think we, we weren't entirely sure what the skill level of the athletes were going to be. And we assumed that it was going to be pretty highly varied. Just, uh, so we assumed there'd be some people with, uh, pretty good skills and then some people with not so good skills. So to design activities where no matter what your skill level was, you would benefit from the activity. That was one of the parameters. And then okay. to be able to, to give, a, give the activities to a coach um, so that they could explain it. And then like trying to use diagrams so that we didn't have to talk as much. That was also, well, that wasn't a parameter, but that was a uh, solution to those parameters. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so what other solutions did you come up with or just kind of generalized principles um, would you give? Um, yeah, well, so I guess the framework, as I dissected how we created this plan was, um, yeah, I, I think really what the talk is, is just the main point is to bring awareness to the fact that there are going to be challenging situations and that's okay. And so we acknowledge that. But um, if we take time to prepare either before the session or just as a coach in general, think about like, as a coach, what are your most common uh, challenging parameters that you're going to face? Um, and then make sure that you're planning activities that uh, are flexible or just take into account your specific limitations. So when you're talking about that example where you show at practice, you had this idea of running these lines and four players didn't show up, you didn't have a flexible practice plan um, because uh, you, you I, I mean, you just didn't, you didn't yeah. plan for the fact that those players might not show up. So as a coach, yeah. the idea is like, well, if you know that you can't rely on all your players to show up every single time, you can't plan a practice that requires those people to show up unless you know you're willing to uh call those people and confirm or whatever basically it's just i think a lot of it is just bringing awareness to what your parameters and challenges are so that you plan for them and so that you don't show up at the field with unpleasant surprises or at least um that that would happen as infrequently as possible the other thing i try to do in the talk is just acknowledge that this does get easier with time as you have more experience and you right. deal with, yeah, and you deal with different challenges, you're going to have in your memory, in your working memory, activities that you did at other times and other places when this challenge happened before. So you plan to practice zone, but you don't have players. Well, what do you do? Um, okay, well, you know, it won't be the first time that you'll have run into that scenario. Um, and so you'll you'll have more plans and more options um, as you get more experience as a coach. Yeah, um, I think definitely experience experience trumps everything at a certain point. Yeah, like just being able to say like, oh yeah, I did that one time and it worked great. Like that that definitely makes sense. Um, but it's nice it's yeah. nice though to give um, kind of a jump start to that experience. It's well, right. Kind of and I think that's what we're trying to do with these questions is like, okay, even if you hadn't had that experience, um, like if you're planning for a zone practice and you have a specific thing in mind, it, it is doing these thought experiments will be like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And so in lieu of experience, it's almost like we're using visualization um, instead. And then you have that experience without having to make the mistake first, hopefully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. That's a that's a that's a really exciting topic. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on it though because you do have another presentation as well um, that you're involved with this year. Um, so a nice double whammy. Um, you want to talk about your other presentation as well? Well, I feel like that's more like Jules's presentation. Well, uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so basically we have, uh, well, so we're doing an interesting experiment in the Ultimate Athlete Project. And so I thought um, it would be silly of us not to talk about that during the ERCA conference uh, because I think folks will find it interesting. And uh, Jules is just such an intelligent um, and thorough strength and conditioning coach. It's always... Uh, mind-blowing to talk to her and have her explain things to you. Uh, so so <laughs> I just wanted to do that. So basically, to set it up, um, in the Ultimate Athlete Project, we have a group of, uh, I think it's seven athletes, who are testing a level two program that is designed by Jules Murray. Um, and the reason we did this is Jules is an elite level SNC coach. She has coached the uh, England netball team to a gold in the Commonwealth Games as an SNC coach. And that was uh, not, they, they performed far better than they were expected to do. So that was a great accomplishment. And in general, she has just had experience uh, being around uh, Olympic level athletes and other SNC coaches who have coached Olympic level athletes. So she is really at the top of her game as far as being an SNC coach. And she's also an ultimate player, which is why she cares enough to um, contribute to what we're doing in the UAP. So, um, so yeah, we just had a chat about what we were doing and why. And I think what we're, what Jules and I are also talking about is just the larger vision of the UAP and we talk a little bit about kind of like a reality check as far as where ultimate players are in their SNC um, knowledge and capabilities. So I think that presentation is going to be awesome for not just coaches, but also athletes or for anyone who's, who's um, for any coach who's interested about helping their team be a little bit more serious um, in their training, it's really a must see, you know, in the ultimate athlete project, we are continuously talking about the long term over the short term. We are trying to continue the process of helping players think about not just getting in shape for the season, but about training in their off season and building their strength and thinking long term. And that's why the UAP is a complete year long program. And with Jules, we're taking it even a step further and we touch on this theory of like the six years to make an athlete kind of thing. Like this is how elite, truly elite athletes think about their training. Like it's not even just about this year. It's about their athletic development long term. And by long term, we mean not just a year, but multiple years. And so working with Jules, we're further enabling our UAP athletes to think even more long term um, and it's really for those that are trying to push the envelope of where they can be uh, physically. So definitely not for everybody, but we'll t we talk about that and we talk about the challenges of the program. Uh, and um, hopefully in that, we will also have a, a few quick um, words from a few people in the testing group to talk about 
how it feels to be doing the program so far. Awesome. I think that that's really cool, especially given like theoretically ultimate, you know, wants to be in the Olympics is such a big goal, at least with USA ultimate, um, pushing ultimate into the Olympics. And like, I know that when I heard this interview with Jules that you had, um, I was just kind of like floored by how different the training is between just even elite level ultimate players and actual Olympic athletes and just the mindset of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's the mindset of it and there is the physical, um, differences. So Right. Yeah, I mean, Jules, Jules will explain this, and we talk about this, so I don't want to give it all away. But, but I mean, I had this experience, too. I mean, when I was, um, you know, in a facility where we did train um, professional athletes and people aspiring, um, aspiring to be uh, in the NFL, I mean, yeah, you're looking at the top end. And I think, like, even for all of my um, education about things like plyometrics and uh, things like this, you don't really fully understand what that means. Like, for, uh, take the simple idea of like wanting to land softly. You know, uh, that indicates that you can absorb the force with your muscles instead of, um, you know, everything else. Uh, so we have this idea in our heads of like what what soft what uh, soft footfalls sound like or what landing softly means. But until you see an elite level athlete uh, doing hurdle hops on full-size hurdles like it was like a d1 track star like doing these um doing these hurdle hops just like one ground touch between uh hurdles making no sound until you see that i mean and when i just remember having this moment of like oh like that that is what it's supposed to be and i have never done that nor do i know (laughs) any human being around me that has ever done that the way this person is doing it but this is what um you know what what all these like snc textbooks are talking about and so i think you know we go through the motions not on purpose just because we don't know we and we think we're doing plyometrics and we think we're doing um the best training we can do and we are but we don't we don't understand like just yeah, how how different it is from the from the true top level, and so this is something I've talked about with Jules and also with uh, Dante Hector and a few other SNC coaches. So, you know, this is not to say um, that ultimate players should feel bad about themselves and their athletic abilities. It's just, um, yeah, I think it's just a reality check. And it's like if we think that we as a sport are ready, are Olympic Games ready? I mean, I think. We do want to get in the Olympics, sure, but I think it wouldn't be wrong to aspire to, um, to really aspire to that level of greatness. Some, some, some things are going to have to happen. Um, yes, ultimate is an amateur sport, and so are all the other sports that are vying for the Olympics. But I think there is a lot more we could do to take ourselves more seriously um, if we really, truly want to aspire to that level. And some of that is physical, and some of it comes back to, again, the coaching, um, because you don't have Olympic level athletes who think they have it all figured out. An Olympic level sprinter can certainly sprint far better than the SNC coach that is coaching them, but it doesn't mean that that sprinter doesn't ask for advice or have coaching. Of course they have coaching. Um, and same with any, any Olympic athlete looks for as much coaching as possible. And as ultimate players, I think we, uh, 
for whatever reason, we don't value coaching as much as we should. Actually, I do think I know the reason. I think <laughs> I think <laughs> the way Ultimate evolved in the U.S., you know, it is mostly college-educated, uh, academically-oriented people, and we are used to being able to figure things out. Uh, we are um, a well-educated group in the United States. And I think what this does is this maybe unfortunately makes us think we can figure everything out and that we don't ask for outside coaching and the coaches who are best at ultimate coaching are the ones who learn from coaches in other sports whether it's um, basketball or whatever and then what you see in other places where um the ultimate coaches come from a background of uh like learning how to coach in school their coaching looks a lot different than the coaching that you'll see in the United States from either people who are a lot of teachers coach, which is great because there's a lot in in common between teaching and coaching, but it's not entirely the same. Coaching someone athletically is just using a different part of the brain than coaching someone academically. And so there is a difference. And um, I think for me, when I was in Columbia this uh, 20, uh, when was that? I don't know, last year, um, I was coached by these like 20 something like young kids um, and not by Mauricio Moore. He's an awesome coach. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was being coached by some complete unknown kids, but they were amazing. And I would say they were probably, they were definitely easily within the top 10 of coaches I'd ever been coached by probably within the top five. And it's just because they came from um, well, number one, because one of them came from an education background of being taught how to coach sports. And two, they spent time, they spent a lot of time watching game footage and just learning how to coach. And three, I think the coaching philosophy is a little different, um, more uh, like game oriented. And if you look at like Jules' talk from, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before, but it was about um, constraints led learning. I think it was called making yeah. sure you're coaching transfers to the pitch or something like yeah. that. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot more of that. And that's far more modern type coaching. And I think a lot of the coaching in the US and Europe is still kind of like, uh, just uh yeah it's just different and not i'm not gonna say entirely totally worse but it is different and i think modern coaching is moving towards more like constraints led learning kind of activities yeah yeah and we that that's a good point and we've got a a blog post up um on the constraints led learning from a few months ago as well on uh on the on ultiresults.com on the site oh yeah um but yeah that's definitely Definitely a good point. Um, pushing, you know, coaching and playing, um, pushing some of those more modern theories into the sport of ultimate, um, I think is definitely going to be one of the biggest drivers of the development of the game. Yeah, and I think this is why um, this is why I can't give up the ARCA conference. It is just right. It is just vitally important. The future of ultimate is going to be determined by its coaches. We need good coaches. So. Um, yeah, and it, so some of it is just going to be driven by the motivation of the coaches themselves. Like, it's always more fun to coach when you're a better coach, just like it's always more fun to play ultimate when you're a better athlete. So some of that is internal motivation, but I think, again, like, um, yeah. So some of it is some of it I think is just we as a community deciding that we want to be better, we want to deserve to be in the Olympics, and we want to value coaching, and therefore spend more time getting better at it. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and I think um, a great 
obviously, I mean, we're here to talk about it. Like a, a great way to get better is attending the IRCA conference, um, you know, watching these videos, asking questions, joining the conversation, um, and really trying to expand a network of coaches around the world to talk with each other and share ideas. Um, and I think that that's a great, that's a great, um, message for the conference or a great reason for having the conference. And I think, um, yeah, I think obviously your talks this year are going to be great and the conference as a whole is going to be great. And I'm really excited for it. And I hope. Yeah. So Jack, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Since I'm your boss. Um. Yeah. 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 Turn it around. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So what have, what's been the most exciting part for you in organizing the conference this year? Um, well, one of the biggest things, um, that has been a challenge for me, but has also been rewarding is just picking what the coaches are going to talk about. Um, so, you know, we reached out to a few people asking if they, um, wanted to talk and then they just weren't sure what they were going to talk about. Like Jonathan Nethercutt, for example, um, we had a exchange where he said a few different ideas and it's just like, can you just talk about all of them, <laughs> you know, like, um, which isn't really feasible, but, um, just the amount of knowledge that some of these coaches bring, um, and how many different areas that they could speak on, um, is kind of eye opening for me personally, um, as a coach to how much more I have to learn and how much more I can learn. Um, but also just really cool to, um, to work and like really like hone in on a topic and then kind of see them um, develop their develop their presentation um, and I get I get to learn alongside the, the creation of that which is great and um, yeah and just the whole process has been really fun um, for me and I'm really excited to get it going on Monday. Nice. Yeah, I remember my one of my favorite things is to talk to a coach about contributing to ERCA for the first time. And often it starts off with, well, I'm not sure what I would talk about. Or um, sometimes just coaches not feeling totally confident that they have anything to add to the conversation, mm-hmm. um, which I think also shows a bit about where we are as a community and our, and our coaching knowledge. It's still pretty flat. Like even people at the um, elite level or elite players that obviously have gained some knowledge a lot of them feel like they don't really have anything, anything like um, no rocket science to share, but they do. And right. so I think what's fun for me is uncovering, bringing that out um, and giving them an opportunity to talk about it and uh, to reflect upon and recognize their own skill. I think for me that that was one of the fun parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I'm, I'm loving it. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Okay. Um, So I think that's about all the time we've got. Uh, We've gone a little longer, but um, I think that's all right. I I really enjoyed uh, this conversation um, and all the directions we took on it. Um, Yeah, Melissa, thank you so much for taking this time um, to come and talk today. Um, Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Super exciting to be a guest on on your podcast. (laughs) yeah awesome thanks um yeah and 
Uh, I hope everyone listening um, tunes into the IRCA conference. It's going to be great. Um, you can sign up in the link in the show notes here or at ultiresults.com. Um, we'll be launching this Monday on February 25th. Hope to see you all there.